Welcome to episode three, my interview with Allison from Michigan. This is the Straight Up Gay Podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Major, your host for the Straight Up Gay Podcast, where I have conversations with people about their life experiences and opinions related to the LGBTQ community. This podcast is dedicated to raising awareness of the problems and successes related to the LGBTQ people and to improve the acceptance of LGBTQ people as equal members of our society. Keep in mind, this show is free of cursing, but we may have conversations about human sexuality and topics related to sex and gender that may result in awkward questions from young children. If you're not prepared to have those conversations, turn back now. Today is January 2nd. Happy New Year. And on the show today is my guest, Allison from Michigan. Welcome to the show, Allison. Thanks. Uh, Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. You are episode three, and I'm really just excited to actually have guests on the show. I wasn't too sure (laughs) about how many people would want to be on the show. And so the fact that I got three, I'm pretty stoked about it. <laughs> and, and and may that, that trend continue for you. Yeah, thank you. So the first thing I want to do is just kind of get to know you. As I've told you know people on the other shows that we I send out a pre-interview questionnaire just to kind of get a general idea of who I'll be talking to and some of the things significant to their life. Um, you went ahead and filled that out. And so... Um, I'll just give a quick brief. You're a divorced 40-something trans woman, mom of three, and you live in the Detroit Mm -hmm. area, and you've actually been a guest host on other podcasts. So go ahead and just give us an overview of who you are, please. Yeah, well, um, that pretty much covers it. I am a a trans woman. I transitioned – I started my transition in 2013, so um, I'm I'm going into year four. Woohoo. (laughs) <laughs> I uh, am a, a English teacher by trade. Uh, I spent most of my 20s and 30s married, uh, starting a family. And then in my mid-late 30s, uh, started breaking down, as it were. And, uh, you know, that eventually led to to acceptance and realization and, and transition and divorce and you know all the things that come with it, and and now, like I said, uh, like I said, there I'm forty something. I'm a mom of three. Uh, I am happy where I am, and you know, trying to make my way in the world like everybody else. Okay, so uh, just just to clarify, let's just make sure that sure. we're all starting from the same place. You were born a man. Mm-hmm. You've transitioned into a woman, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, you were married as a man. I was. Okay. And uh, you had children with that wife you were married to? Correct. Okay. And you have since divorced? We did. Yep. Okay. Did your desire to transition have anything to do with your divorce? Or was that completely unrelated? That's a complicated question. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty good at asking complicated <laughs> questions. <laughs> By the time I told her about my desire to transition, we were already on our way out. Uh, 
the things that led to our divorce were in part brought about because of issues related to my gender dysphoria, to my desire to transition, things like that. You know, I, I just, I wasn't a very good husband uh, in part because I was miserable. Telling her that I was transgender was just sort of like the the the, the final straw in, in something that was probably inevitable anyway. And we had issues, you know, other than that. Most married couples do, but um, so I, I can't exactly say that we divorced because I'm transgender, and I can't exactly say that we didn't divorce because I was transgender. Um, you know, like so many things, things play off things, and there are echoes, and there are reverberations, and there are waves, and um, life is messy and complicated. But my being transgender was definitely an element in that. Yeah, so relationships are pretty dynamic, and I imagine exactly. I imagine your internal struggles, you know, manifested well, themselves externally in your relationship, and so I can't imagine that, or I can imagine that it made it pretty difficult to um, deal with the normal stresses of being married, as well as dealing with the internal struggle of your internal dysphoria and stuff. So, is that about oh, yeah. accurate? That, that's about accurate. Yeah, you know, like. Like a lot of trans people, and especially trans women, um, those of us who don't transition early for whatever reason, we try to go the other direction as much as we can. We try to be the man, as it were. We we try to have the wife and the kids or get very manly careers in some cases. You yourself were a soldier, and there are a lot of, of trans women who spend time in the military because they're craving that you know, maybe, maybe if I do this, you know, I'll finally be a man, you know, like society wants me to be sort of thing. Um, so let's just go ahead and move on. But I get what you're saying is that you were trying to basically do the thing society thought a man should do so that one day, you exactly. would hopefully, one day you would hopefully, hopefully feel the way society expected you to feel. Right. Because, and especially, you know, coming out of, in older generation, you know, I, I grew up pre-internet, you know, my only exposure to transgender people before say, you know, my college years was when they'd show up on like Phil Donahue uh, or Geraldo Rivera. And, and when you, when you have these feelings and then the only exposure you're getting to them is through things like, you know, the Geraldo show where half the time, the people that they got on there, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know who those people are. I, I can't go back and, and learn anything about them now. But at the time, it almost seemed like they, they, were, they were finding people who were very sort of extreme, sometimes even caricatures. You know, the public might think a trans person is. That, that's not very healthy for your mental self-esteem. Um, sure. So, I mean, we all know the Geraldo show, at least people our age. And I'm sure many of our listeners have heard of Jerry Springer and some of the other show hosts. Who, Springer. Oh yeah. Springer. Yeah. So <laughs> they kind of, when they have their transgender guests on, it's almost that that person is the butt of the joke and that they are, they are not respected. They are not treated. And sometimes they, you know, act in a manner that kind of uh, warrants that sort of treatment, right? They have these very eccentric and out. I, I, I don't think I'd ever top. say that. I don't think I'd ever say that anybody warrants that kind of treatment. However, um, you do get a certain class of trans woman who tends to to be, I think the right word is eccentric. 
in in mannerisms and, and, and there's a lot of conversation on the in trans communities about you know we, we, sometimes people get grouped into this group or that group or another group and and, and that's a you know that's that, that's a known sort of type as it were but they just they happen to be the, the the kind of trans people that at the time were the ones that they wanted on camera um, to 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 fit to conform to I think what the audience uh, uh, the audience stereotype of a trans person would be. And, and and I wouldn't even doubt if behind the scenes, you know, they were encouraged to be that way or they were told, well, you should wear this and we're going to do your makeup and, and, you know, kind of made to present more the way that the producer wanted them to present uh, than they might have been comfortable presenting, you know, on any given day. I don't, you know, and that's just an assumption. I don't know. I wasn't there back then, but I can say that as a, as a young person watching those shows, that was the sense I got. Was, was was that, you know, this was a caricature or this was something, you know, the audience clearly was not into it. And this is not something that society is is going to be accepting of. And oh, my God. And, you know, hide it, hide it, hide it. Let me clarify what I meant. I didn't mean that they warranted that behavior. I meant that that would encourage people to treat them that way. Right. When you when you act overly eccentric and, and you, for lack of a better word, you put on the show of the uh, straw man that they want you to build. And so that kind of elicits that sort of response from the, from the viewers of those shows is what I meant. Not that, sure, not yeah. that they were deserving of it. <clears throat> no, absolutely. I yeah, know. Absolutely. And, and, and I think to a degree and, and even in, even now in, I was going to say now in 2016, but that year's over. Thank God. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, even going in here into to 2017, Trans people and trans women, I think, to an extre- a more extreme degree than than trans men, and and they'll probably neither one as much as non-binary trans people who probably have it the worst in this regard. Um, feel that sort of pull between being being authentic and conforming enough to the stereotype that people will accept you, and it's it's a really fine line to walk. Um, and, and, you know, people fall on either side of that line all the time. I can imagine you're trying to find this, you're being pulled in two directions where you're trying to live your life as the person you want to live, but you don't want to be an outcast for living the life that you want to live. And so you try to conform to what you think society thinks you should be as a woman or as a man or whatever gender you choose, you know, or not that you choose, but that you want to live your life as I keep trying right. to, I keep trying to avoid the word choose. Cause I know it's not a choice. <laughs> so, um, I corrected myself there, but you, you feel this pull, um, between the dynamic of living, how you want to live your life, fitting into the mold of what a woman should be. Sort of. Yes. Well, and what society thinks a woman should be, I, you know, it's it's one of those things where I, I've met trans women who um, fall very much towards the, the kind of the ultra feminine side, um, and I've I've met trans women who more or less walk out every day in jeans and a t shirt and sneakers, and if you go too far one way, uh, like 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 let's say that, that you decide you're going to be a very feminine trans woman or you feel very feminine as a trans woman and you present as a very feminine trans woman, you'll be told, well, you're really just a cross dresser. You'll be told that's not how real women dress. You're just dressing as the caricature of women. Uh, you'll be told, you know, look at you, you're a stereotype. You're not a real woman. 
And if you go the other way, if you walk out every day in jeans and, and sneakers and a t-shirt and you don't put on any makeup and you don't do up your hair, people are like, well, you're not even trying. So clearly you're not a real woman. You know, you're not putting any effort into it. Um, why, you know, why do you want me to call you a woman if you're still dressed like a man? Uh, so it's, it's, it's like, we're damned if we do, we're damned if we don't. Right. Um, you have a very small window of that yes. where you perfectly hit the mold that everyone expects you to be in. And, and, and that window's not always where you want to be, but it's, it's kind of for a lot of people, at least in my experience, a lot of us who, once we've been at it a few years, we, we kind of find that point where we're comfortable but also, but it's kind of like a Venn diagram. It's where we're comfortable overlaps with where society is comfortable with us. At least, again, speaking, kind of my experience as an older, I very much come from an older tradition of trans people. Um, you know, you go online now, you go, um, you know, into a lot of the younger online trans spaces, and they don't care as much about what other people think. Um, but uh, but I really do very much come from an old, I, mainly because a lot of the stuff I read before I transitioned in my early transition was still part of that older mentality um, of, of wanting to pass and wanting to go stealth and all that sort of thing. But, but yeah, it's, 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 it's a fine line and it's a struggle and it's, you know, it's, it's the kind of life where you can be standing in front of somebody in a dress and uh, you know, with your hair done and your makeup done and they can still accidentally say, sir, to you uh, because your voice doesn't read and they're not really paying attention. And, and, and then the minute that happens, you're like, what if I put on this flowery brooch? Will you call me a female then? You know, it's, it's a struggle. And, you know, it's an, unfortunately, you know, here I am four years in and I still struggle with that. Um, You know, still, still trying some days to find that path. I think that's a consistent theme uh, among most of the trans women that I've spoke to. Uh, As a matter of fact, as far as the show is concerned, I've only spoken to trans women so far. So that seems to be a running theme. And I know that for a, a straight cisgender man, in school and in, you know, social circles, I try to my best to fit into what society thinks I should be. And I can't, even, oh, sure. I can't even imagine how difficult that could be when you have this own internal struggle um, and insecurities to deal with. Am I looking enough like a woman? Is he going to call me sir instead of ma'am? So I, I can imagine that living that uh, life day in and day out can probably sometimes get pretty exhausting. It can. And well, like, for example, with me, I, I teach and every semester I have to face an, a new group of people who have never met me before. And I, I, I don't go through life with the illusion that I can live stealth. I, I don't know if you've talked about the concept of stealth too much on the show yet. but uh, um, Yeah. So what I understand it to be is passing where people, when they meet you, can't tell you, they, they accept your yeah. presentation as authentically woman so that they don't even have an initial thought like, mm, I wonder if that's a man and just right. 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 The, the idea is that is, is, is if you're living stealth, people, people assume you are a cisgender woman, period. Is that, and, is that know, different from passing? Is that a different term or is that kind of the same thing? Cause the way I understand it is passing is, is kind of the same thing where you're living your life full time as a woman and you try to pass off your appearance yeah, as an the, authentic woman. Yeah. Stealth was the old term. Passing sort of is a new term, but either way, it, it basically refers to being able to walk into a store and people will see you as as nothing other than a cisgender woman, essentially. And the reason why that's starting to become kind of an offensive concept, particularly in young trans circles, is because 
you have this sort of trans and proud, I, I don't use the word term movement, but this sort of trans and proud idea theme yeah. idea. There you go. Trans and proud idea that, well, why would I, why would I want people to think that I'm cis? But again, I'm kind of stuck in that older mentality, but you know, I go in front of a new classroom, several new classrooms every semester. And, and my first concern is, is someone going to call me out on the first day? That's like, I walk into my classroom the first day of the semester, every semester with anxiety over that. I can imagine. Uh, is someone going to call me out in front of the class on my first day? Luckily, I have been, I have been teaching transitioned for three years now. And I have never had a student call me out in front of the class or in private. I've occasionally had a student slip up pronouns. I had one student who uh, did a couple of microaggressions, um, but they were never to my face. Um, they were always in writing, but that's about the worst of it. So I've, I, I feel I've gotten fortunate in that, that I haven't had that big moment, but it's still every semester. It's a, it's a source of anxiety for me. So the, the, and the idea of stealth or the idea of passing is they're not going to think there's anything different about me when I stand in front of that classroom. And that's what I personally want. Not all trans people want that, but it's definitely what I want. Yeah. So that's one thing I've learned recently. Um, I've been trying to be more open about learning about what it means to be an LGBTQ person. And one of the first things I learned was that not everybody wants the same end goal as far as, you know, being a transgender person. Some, yes. pe some people are perfectly comfortable looking like a boy just dressed up as a girl and not passing. And uh, some people want to pass so completely, nobody can tell that they're a transgender person. And so I've, I've like most things like human sexuality, I've come to learn that there is a whole spectrum involved when it comes to where people are comfortable as far as how they transition or their sexuality and it's not just okay i was a man and now i'm going to fully transition to the other end and be a woman some people don't want to go that far some people just want to be you know uh for lack of a better term i don't i don't like to use derogatory terms but some people want to look like a butch lesbian or someone want to look like a lipstick lesbian you know they want to look that way. And that's something that I've learned recently was that not every transition is going to be the same for every person who wants to transition. To me, sometimes even the, I, I feel like the trans community sometimes has sort of enshrined the concept of transition to the point where sometimes it forces people to feel like they need to do a more complete experience than they might otherwise be comfortable uh, doing. And that's actually one of the reasons why I like some of the, the younger trans spaces online, the, the sort of the trans and proud movement is because they've started to break that down. You know, I, I know I, I listened to the first episode that you recorded and I know in that one you got into talking a little bit about gatekeeping and therapists and stuff like that. In the old sort of gatekeeper therapist model of all this, you know, they used to do that. Uh, the therapists used to kind of push, well, you know, we're not going to call you transgender. We're not going to give you hormones, et cetera, unless you're fully female or fully feminine, excuse me, or, or, or a lot for a long time. It was, you have to live a, one year as a woman before we'll let you even get on hormones. And in some countries, in some places, that's still a thing. So you would have people who maybe necessarily didn't want to go that far, but had to go that far to get what they wanted. 
and and thankfully those are those are barriers that are breaking down the 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 therapist side of it is becoming much less gatekeepery for the most part there are still pockets out there but for the most part that's beginning to change and people are being more allowed to control the the quality and the quantity of their own transition um without without having to to jump through those hoops yeah and i think i think uh, overall from so far the people that i've spoken to they haven't really faced gatekeeping as an issue yet um which i think is a good thing i don't think that someone else should be in control of you living your life how you want to live it now i want to move on to sort of like a timeline you were born male and you have transitioned to be a female and so i kind of want to get an overview of how that progressed uh, to Mm -hmm. where you are now when did you start feeling different when did you first kind of start thinking like maybe i'm not like everyone else if you could start from you know your earliest experiences and just give us a brief timeline uh, up to now of of how how and when you got to where you are Sure. Uh, qu- quick, uh, quick terminology thing, because this will catch you um, with some okay. people. The, the proper way to term it is I was assigned male at birth. Okay. Not I was born a man. That that's one of the. But again, that's one of those. Yeah, some people will catch on that. Um, I'm I'm cool either way with it. I but again, I come from an older tradition. Um, but yeah, no, I was. Um, I can't say, like, I can't pinpoint. Some people can go, I, I knew when I was six, you know, the first time I secretly tried on my mom's shoes or whatever. I really can't give you one of those moments. I grew up in a family that was kind of dominated by females. Uh, it was it was me, my dad, my two sisters, and my mom. My dad was a factory worker. He had a lot of afternoon shifts for a lot of years. And so the, for a lot of years, it was just me and my mom and my sisters. And and so I don't know, maybe if if... You know, at what point during all that I I first had those feelings? I know that they cemented in high school, partially because of the shows that I was talking about, because it was probably the first time watching Donahue, uh, for example, which my mom was a big fan of. It, It was the first time I was confronted with the idea in solid form, if that makes sense. Uh, and, and I and I think that that before that maybe if those feelings were there they weren't they didn't ha- they didn't know what to latch on to uh, until I was exposed to the idea. But like I like I said before, you know, at the time I thought that was a bad thing, and so I spent the next you know twenty years of my life repressing it, trying to ignore it, you know, letting letting it come out in secret in the background, and and unfortunately letting it damage me. And my my realization, not my realization, but the day that I accepted myself was in very early 2013, um, right around this time, actually, around, around the first of the year, uh, coincidentally. And, and without getting into to too many personal issues, by that point, my marriage was in a shambles. And I was starting to try to figure out, I, I finally got to a point where I accepted that I was the reason why things were falling apart. And so I started asking myself what was going on with me. And, and that kind of started, that, that was the first domino, you know, that was, that was the thing that started everything going. By March of that year, I had started seeing a therapist, but it was kind of too late at that point. What year was that? I, March of what year? Uh, by March of 2013. Okay. I had 
I, I, I had gotten to see a therapist. I actually contacted um, the, the group that, that really helped me out. It's through uh, University of Michigan. Uh, it's the University of Michigan Comprehensive Gender Services Program. And they were lifesavers for me because I, I wouldn't have known what to do otherwise. Uh, but unfortunately, by then, I was deep into depression, um, which is something that it turns out I had struggled with all my life and, and just had never, I, I'd never formally gotten it diagnosed. And and unfortunately, in late March that year, uh, I attempted suicide. And, and that was, I mean, that was really the moment where I, I after that, after that failed attempt, it was kind of like, well, I'm, I'm just going to be trying this again if I don't do this. And so, so really that, that moment was the moment when I started transitioning, uh, was, was, was the moment after I, my, my failed suicide attempt. Um, so let me just clarify. So that was all in 2013. You were speaking. Yeah, that, that was, that's like a, that's like a three month period. Um, I so, came to the re- realization in January and by the end of March, I was struggling so much with that realization that. So despite your, your involvement with a therapist and seeing a therapist, you still attempted suicide. It was too little too late by then. Okay. Uh, I, I think, I, you know, if I had, if I had come to the realization or started seeking out a therapist six months earlier, I might not have made it there. But by the time I started with a therapist, it was too little to, and I'd only been with a therapist for about a month. You know, it was, and, and that was, that was, I mean, that moment, that, attempt really shaped a lot of my perspectives. It also forced me to come out to certain people. That's when my parents found out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so this wasn't while you were married, was it? It was as the marriage was falling apart. Okay. So towards the, you were still married, um, but it was towards the end. We were still married, but the writing was on the wall. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, the suicide attempt, I, I told my parents I was in the mental hospital and they came to visit me. They, they actually, they, they live out of state and they, they traveled in when they heard what, what happened. So I had to tell them in the mental hospital. And, and if you go on, on trans spaces online, you know, there's a lot of consternation about how do I tell my parents? When do I tell my parents? What way do I tell my parents? Yeah. That probably, and let me tell that, you, that probably wasn't an ideal situation. <laughs> no, no, that is not the ideal situation. You, you know, to, to, for, for, for them to find out, you know, that, 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 that their child who is sitting there after having attempted suicide, you know, did it because they're transgender. It was not an ideal situation. <laughs> well, so let me just pause for there, uh, right there for a sure. second and ask, when you did first announce it to your parents or at least mm-hmm. uh, come out to your parents that you were, I don't know how to phrase that. If you wanted to be a transgender woman or if you wanted to be, I don't know how exactly to word that. The, the, the phrasing would be that you, that I was a transgender woman. Okay. So when you came out and told them that you were a transgender woman, what was their response? What were the things that they said to you? Like, Oh, it's just because you're under stress or, did they try to dismiss it or downplay it in any way? Like what were their reactions? My dad was confused. I, in fact, my dad unfortunately passed in, in March of 2014 and I don't think he ever quite got it. I'm really sorry to hear that by the way. That's pretty awful. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was, it, it was a hard loss for me, but I, I don't think he ever really got it. My mom was also confused at the beginning. I think because again, you know, her only exposure like me for years had been Donahue and Geraldo and, and all that. And, and so I think they just kind of walked away 
confused but glad that I was still alive. And and I I think there were a lot of attempts in the first months to try to marginalize or dismiss the idea. Uh, oh, well, you know, you better keep seeing your therapist. Are you sure, you know, are you sure this isn't just the depression? you know, are you sure you're ready to start, you know, to start, you know, wearing women's clothes? You know, when I started hormones, are you sure? Aren't you going a little fast for this? You know, there was a lot of that. My mom's much, I mean, my mom's completely accepting now. She, she didn't, you know, some parents have really awful uh, reactions in, and in hindsight, even, even their initial reactions were very tame compared to what some people have to put up with. Um, But my mom has come full circle. She's, she's fully accepting of me now. Let me ask another question on top of that. Sure. So your mom is, uh, for lack of a better word, on board. Um, yes. And so the thing I want to know, because I have a gay son, and so there are times when I want to be proud of my son and tell people, well, hey, you know, because I'll have conversations with people who don't know that my son is gay, and they may say um, maybe not derogatory things, but, you know, take you know, pot shots at being a gay person or something mm-hmm. like that. And there's times where I want to stand up and say, look, my son's gay and what you're saying about him or about gay people isn't true. And, but I don't want to out my son per se. I know I feel like it's his place to let people know as far as you being a transgender woman and your mom being supportive and on board with that. Um, where do you stand with that as far as, if she were to tell someone that you're a transgender, do you, do you not agree with that? Would you not want her to do that? Um, that's actually a really good question. I, uh, because I think a lot of allies struggle with that. Yeah. Cause um, we want, we, I want to be supportive, right? But I don't, well, I don't want to out you and, and be the person to control who you are out to and who you're not. And so it's kind of a difficult place for an ally to be in. And so I want to know where you fall on that. <laughs> Sure. Well, let me I, 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 let me take your scenario as an example, um, because I, I think you've I think you've made an assumption there that a lot of allies feel they need to make. And that's that you feel like you need to justify why you're stepping up to the defense of, of LGBT people. You're, you're sitting there thinking, well, they made a derogatory comment about being gay. I want to counter that comment. But then, but then the assumption there is in order to do so, I have to justify why I'm stepping up and it's because my son is gay. So why not just tell them it's wrong because that's not the way gay people are? I, I think a lot of allies, and I think it's a defensive thing because, because they are confronted with somebody who's saying these derogatory things that they have to almost kind of go, you know, I, you know, I have a gay son or I have a trans daughter. Um, and therefore, I know that what you're saying is wrong. And, and so my thought is just, just start after the therefore, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I don't think, I don't think allies need to justify their allyship. That's a actually very uh, insightful point because you're right. Um, when I hear someone make a derogatory comment, I am initially uh, not outraged. I hate to use the word. You're, you're a defensive dad and that's awesome. Well, it's not that I'm a defensive dad. It's that I know what they're saying is not accurate. Right. So yeah. uh, I'm a, I'm an atheist. I'm a skeptic like you. Right. So when I hear mm-hmm. them make a bad argument, my initial reaction, like you said, is to refute that. Right. I want to say something. And then you're right. The next thing that comes is to go, well, now I need a justification. I need some sort of um, a reason to be stepping in. Yes, I need a reason. Right. And and really, the reason shouldn't be because 
I have a gay son because even if I didn't, I should still say something because it's wrong. Not because I have a gay son, because even if I didn't have a gay son, if my son was straight, I should still stand up and say something because it's wrong. Exactly. So that is an excellent insight. And I, (laughs) I'm glad I asked the question because I had been struggling with how do I respond? And I think you hit the nail on the head. And so now I know that I don't need a justification other than what they're saying is wrong and inaccurate. Good. Well, and, and, you know, and I'll be honest with you, I, I struggle with that a little myself because if, if I'm in a situation where maybe I'm talking to somebody who doesn't know I'm transgender or, or at least who hasn't said anything to me about it, like I said, I, I don't go through life with any illusions. I'm, I'm six foot three. I'm broad shouldered. I face that internal struggle myself is my first thing I want to say is, well, look, I'm trans and I know that's not true. And I kind of have to cut my own self off, um, not just for fear of, of, of potentially outing myself, but, but because, again, why, why should the fact that I'm trans be the justification for me calling out somebody else's bad behavior? Exactly. Um, it should just be called out because it's wrong. But but we always feel like we need to justify something like that. Yeah, it's you just, need an it's example. Human, it's to human point nature. To. Yeah, you need an example to point to. But like, what you're saying is wrong because look at this example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I I don't blame you at all for that, feeling that need to justify because we've all been there. Yeah, no, um, and I'm I'm glad I asked the question because now I know that uh, that's not something I should feel I need to bring up that my son is is gay. And um, the reason, one of the other reasons I've used, I'm using a. a a pseudonym for this show. My name isn't really major, but I'm using it because, uh, for the reason that if people I know listen to the show, I don't want to out my son, uh, because they know who I am. And so Mm -hmm. this way using, this is one of the reasons why I'm using a pseudonym is I can talk about my personal life without outing people in my life, um, against their will. Um, so it gives me a little bit of anonymity to protect the other people in my life. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, anonymity can be very, very valuable. (laughs) Yeah. So I I was just worried about using a a pseudonym because um, people would think I was being disingenuous or something about, you know, you're hiding behind a pseudonym and trying to convince people that being an LGBTQ person is okay, yet you hide behind a pseudonym. You know, it's funny because you and I are having this conversation on Google Hangouts, you know, over the internet and you go back 10, 15 years and the internet was all pseudonyms. Um, yeah. You know, it, it used to be that, that, that pseudonymity was was sort of uh, uh, just the standard online. And now it's because of, you know, places like Twitter where people use anonymity to be horrible to other people. And so in news outlets where, uh, you know, anonymity became a liability because you needed credibility in order to not be viewed as fake news. So that, that now here we sit on the Internet and now we're worried that using pseudonyms is going to be viewed as a, uh, a liability. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's necessarily that it's viewed as a liability, but that I am trying to send a message that, um, we should accept people, uh, LGBTQ people as normal people society and that we should be standing up for them and, and, um, being allies to them. Yet I sit here and host this show behind a pseudonym instead of kind of practicing what I preach. It almost, I, I was worried that it would be viewed as hypocritical and to some level, maybe it is, but I have very real things that I have to protect my family, my career, my military career that I can't let 
these personal views, even though I act very similar to this in my personal Facebook page, I defend LGBTQ people and bad arguments. And I argue with people about it online all the time on my first, on my personal page. Now that I'm podcasting and kind of putting my opinions and my views and and other people's opinions and views out there, I need to be more careful um, of how I protect my personal life because I have a mortgage to pay. And so I I can't let my podcasting uh, activism sort of life interfere with the need to pay bills. Hopefully, I hope one day I can turn this into a full-time job and interview people day in and day out. Uh, If I get enough support for the show, that would be an awesome goal I think I could reach. But until that day comes, I'm going to have to hide behind my pseudonym to protect my family. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, and it's it, it's just that's it's the way life is. It's it's the country we live in. It's the community we live in. You know, I, I mean, look, look at the presidential election last year there. They're, we don't live in a country full of sane, unhateful people. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure I'm sure throughout this experience that uh, the more you know, listeners I get, the more hate mail I'll probably get. Let's, let's move on to the next thing Mm -hmm. for, for both of my listeners, uh, you and the other one, um, just, (laughs) just to be clear. (laughs) So you're fully out everyone, not maybe not everyone, but most of the people, you know, your friends, they know that you're a fully transitioned transgender woman and you don't hide that from most of the people who are close to you in your life. No, I, um, like well, I, I guess to go back because we, I, I was starting my timeline and it kind of we we got off on the the mom tangent. But I started my social transition in summer of 2013. Uh, I started hormonal transition in November of 2013, and Christmas of 2013, two days before Christmas, something like that. Uh, I came out to my kids, who at the time were very young and um that was probably the most nervous moment of my life i can imagine because i actually want to get to that as well and and maybe uh have you explain how that went and and talk about their reactions a little bit after you finish this part sure no definitely and and then in january of 2014 i had very very carefully we're talking about pseudonyms i had very very carefully kept like i had two online lives for a little while uh, and in January 2013, or 2014, excuse me, in January 2014, I made the mistake of connecting my two Facebook profiles. I was I was running a, a page and it, with one profile, and I decided it would be easier if I could uh, administer that page from both profiles. So I, I went to do that. And at the time, and I don't remember why it was set up this way, but for certain types of groups or pages online... If you wanted to have two people administering a page, they had to be friended to each other on their personal accounts. And so I friended my one account with my other account, not thinking anything of it because all it was going to happen was we were, I was going to be administering this page with both accounts. Within a week, Facebook had recommended my new account to all my friends and family. Oh, man. <laughs> so Facebook yes. outed you. Yes. Within a week, my friend from Chicago uh, friends me. And I panicked. I wasn't sure what to do at that point. I I spent about two days just staring at that friend request going, do I contact him back? Do I pretend nothing happened? Do I decline it and hide? But by, but then, by then a second, uh, one of my family members had also seen the recommendation and recognized my photo because I stupidly had 
you know, a photo of myself on both accounts. And, and that was when I decided just screw it. You know, I, and I started accepting these friend requests and, you know, letting a couple trickle in and finding out that these people that were friending me were okay with it. Uh, and then at some point in early February, I think I just, I made a big announcement on Facebook to everybody. And I said, look, everybody, I said, you know, here's what it is and blah, blah, blah. And, and here's my new Facebook account. And I'm going to stop using this old Facebook account now. And so if, if you still want to be friends with me, come friend my new account. And if this all makes you uncomfortable, Hey, have a nice life, you know, no hard feelings. You know, not only, not only did the vast majority of my old friends list follow me over, not everybody, uh, but a vast majority, but I started, um, for some reason, it, it started me connecting with people who I hadn't ever connected with on Facebook, old high school friends and stuff, but, but who through word of mouth were hearing about me, I guess. And, and so I picked up new friends, um, you know, for old high school friends who, who, who are, I'm now connected with and we talked to and, it, it, so it was actually kind of a positive experience for me. I got a lot of support out of that. Um, and, and just by doing it on Facebook like that, I just sort of tore the bandaid off the fear of coming out to a lot of people because I could just do it all at once. Yeah. So um, I was going to say it kind of um, thrust you into a position that you weren't mm-hmm. necessarily sure you wanted to be in, but it ended up having a really positive impact yes. on that. So um, that's really good to hear. I'm glad that that worked out well. I could imagine it, it could have gone a lot worse. Oh, it could have gone a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. um, now, now at that time, I was still going back and forth at that time because I hadn't come out on my at, at the job yet. Um, it wasn't until June of fourteen that I I made the one hundred percent social, you know, social job, et cetera, all that uh, transition. But um, but but that was that was a huge moment for me, that Facebook moment. So I, I guess you could say I've I've been full-time to friends and family since February 14 and, and full-time to life since June of 2014. And, and yeah, so I'm, I'm to get back to the original question from way back when uh, I, I am, I'm, I'm fully out. I am um, fully out to everybody. That's really good to hear. I'm glad that you don't have to live in the closet per se. I'm glad that you have a good support group around you. Um, but I want to go back to when you told your kids that you were going to, that you were a transgender woman. How did that interaction go? How old were your kids? You have three kids, right? Are they all boys? No, no. I actually have two daughters and my one son. The time I came out, they were, it was December of that year. So nine, six and two. Okay. I think if I have my math right. Anyway, they were young, yeah. um, all, all under ten, and and my youngest, um, my youngest was young enough that you know she didn't know anything that was going on really. Yeah, so they were all before puberty, and so they kind of yes. didn't. They didn't have um, a, a very good grasp of gender and sex as far as you know that was concerned. Yeah, it, yeah, for the most part, and I had read a lot of very negative stuff online about about kids and you know it's it's one of the anti-trans tropes uh is that it's going to hurt the kids you know and 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 you know oh god this school teacher's transitioning well what are we supposed to tell our children about it yeah you know like, think of the children kind of thing, the ki- right? yes think of the children right. what are we going to um, tell the children 
it, that, that that's always been used against trans people, this idea that somehow it's going to damage the children if we exist. And so I had a lot of anxiety about coming out to my kids. It, it had just so happened we were driving this this was right around christmas eve maybe we were driving to to a christmas eve get together at my my ex-in-law's house and even my ex-in-laws by the way are very supportive of me the topic of transgender people came up not for me um but it just I, and i don't even remember how it came up anymore but it came up as part of a conversation and so i took the opportunity to sort of probe them and go oh well what do you, what do you think about that and and both my older kids were actually very sort of positive about it. I mean, not like, yeah, go trans, but I, I mean, I didn't get like the negative reaction that I was expecting. My son seemed a little uncomfortable and confused about it. My daughter, my older daughter, who 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 is a, she is a tiny little social, social justice warrior in the making. She really is. She, uh, you know, she seemed totally cool about it. So about two days after Christmas, it was kind of spur of the moment. Uh, I, I, we had sort of a quiet afternoon and I just decided it was the moment to do it. And I sat him down and I'm like, Hey, you remember in the car the other day when we were talking about transgender people, you know, well, what if I told you, you know, that I was transgender and, and my, my son was kind of confused and a little off put at first. And, and like one of his first questions was, does this mean I have to see you in a dress? <laughs> <laughs> And my, my, my six-year-old, she hugged me and then said, can I see you in a dress? <laughs> <laughs> so your son was the two-year-old, right? No, my, my son was nine at the time. My, my oh, son so is my oldest. oldest. Yeah, he, okay. he, In fact, he was the one I was most nervous of because he was the oldest. Yeah. He was kind of approaching puberty at that point. Well, and he had a better grasp of social um, yes. Uh, yes. stereotypes and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. he, he didn't want to be an outcast because... His mom was a transgender woman, basically, right? Right. So he's trying to to think about, well, if my dad shows up to school in a dress, you know, what are the kids yes, doing? Kind of exactly. Thing. So I can see maybe that's where he was coming from with, do I have to see you in a dress kind of thing? I, I, I will say, though, I will say, though, because the opportunity presented itself, I, I, I gave my daughter her wish and I walked her in and I'm like, well, I have the, I own two dresses. Which one do you want to see me in? And she asked and I went into the bathroom and put it on and she got to see me in a dress right away. Uh, oddly enough, I don't own any dresses anymore. I don't wear dresses. Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time and, and honestly, in the time since I did not have a great relationship with my kids prior to transition because I was. As a dad, I was very angry and very shouty, my son especially, and I did not have a very good relationship. He was kind of afraid of me, and probably rightly so, because I was horrible. So transitioning has actually, it improved my relationship with my kids, with my son especially. Um, You know, it turns out that he and I have a lot of common interests. We have a lot of common personality traits. You know, we're both very quiet introverts. When it comes to, you know, if, if you go to a party, there are those people who mingle and there are those people who stand against the wall and wish they could leave. And we're both the kind of person who stands against a wall and wishes they could leave. <laughs> um, we're, you know, we're both into games and coming out to them was the first step in improving my relationship with them. In part because by transitioning, I just became a better person. I got my depression under control, partially thanks to medication. Um, I got my anger issues under control because I was no longer angry with myself. I no longer hated myself. And therefore I wasn't lashing out at the world. And, and my kids and I have a wonderful relationship now. Uh, they, they 
typically call me Allison. They don't call me mom. My, my son actually is the best one at calling me mom sometimes, but I'm perfectly okay with that. You know, they're, I, they're, they're all, like I said, they're all very accepting people. My, my older daughter, um, you know, she's, she's very vocal about, you know, she hears somebody saying something about gay or trans people. My, I, and, and honestly, I don't think my younger daughter has a memory of me before anyway. Too. That's really great to hear. I'm glad that it all went really well. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I thought you'd finish no, your okay. sentence. But uh, that, I think that as far as telling your kids that you're going to be a transgender woman or that you are a transgender woman, as far as stories go, I think that's probably one of the best you could have uh, your daughter wanting to see you in a dress and, and you actually reconnecting and becoming a better parent to your son is probably um, probably one of the best stories I think we could have hoped to, to hear about that. In the same vein, because you went through a divorce and one of the last things to happen was that you told your ex-wife that you were a transgender woman, did that have an effect on how your divorce went? Did she, because I know that sometimes it can happen where if um, a couple is married and and one of the people is uh, homosexual, that the other parent, especially it seems to be linked to being uh very religious um, that they may try to keep the other parent from having visitation or custody simply because they're an LGBTQ person. Is that something? Cause you're my first guest that that was married, at least to my knowledge that has told me. Um, so did you telling your ex-wife that you were going to live your life as a woman? Um, did that affect any part of your divorce in that aspect as far as parenting and stuff like that? I am probably the luckiest trans person in the world in some respects, uh, in that a lot of the negative experiences that happen like that ultimately didn't happen to me. My my ex, without without outing somebody who might not want to be outed, my ex had had a family member prior to uh, me <laughs> had had a family member transition. Um, and so my ex knew about and was comfortable with transgender as a concept. And I think for her, my sense is that for her, my coming out and kind of starting to accept a lot of responsibility for some of the negative things that might have happened in our relationship because of my anger and my depression and my issues I think for her, it was kind of a relief because I think she had placed a lot of that responsibility squarely on her shoulders, something that wasn't necessarily not partially my fault because I used to be pretty horrible as a person and that included some gaslighting. Yeah. So she Um, she internalized a lot of that thinking it was her fault. Yes. Um, But she, I'll be honest with you, she and I have a better relationship now than we did prior to the divorce. We're friends. Um, we co-parent my kids. She's remarried. She has primary custody, but but we co-parent the kids. I see my kids, you know, not every single day, but that's just because of my own life, my own schedule. But I see them regularly. I don't have to do a lot of you know scheduled visitation or anything like that. It's just I I get to be in my kids' life, and she's a big part of that. Even the you know the person that she married is is supportive and okay with it, and and that was one of her conditions when she got remarried was she made sure that you know her new husband would be okay with this situation. That that's really um, that's really um, uh, good to hear that she still considers you 
and make sure that people are supportive of you, who she is going to continue or who she is going to choose to have in her life. I think that's, uh, we got to give kudos to her for that, I think. Oh, absolutely. I, I give so many kudos to her. Um, you know, there's a, there's a part of me that always, you know, it's, you don't know what you got till it's gone. And it, it, it sometimes makes me wonder if I had not been uh, transgender, if I had not had my own issues during our marriage, you know, what kind of, if I had been a husband, what kind of, you know, marriage would we have had together? But, and I will tell you that it makes a big difference when you have the other parents sort of on your team, like with school, all of my kids' school teachers understand our situation, you know, and, and she's the one usually that has to explain that to them because my work schedule usually keeps me from like parent-teacher night. You know, she she's there letting people know, even maybe even before they meet me, that this is our school, you know, this is our life situation. And so, you know, if, if you send something home, you know, it, it, you know, it's it's there's she, essentially that my kids have three parents, as it were, you know, me, my ex and, you know, their stepdad, you know, and that. That means that the schools, because she's okay with it, I think the schools then don't feel any uh, worry over being okay with it. Yeah, they're not you know, they're it, not defensive of the kids thinking that. You right. Know. Well, and and for example, my my youngest went to preschool, and we uh, we took her to actually it was a it was a church based preschool, which I used to be very against, but this is a very nice school. They they would by like on Mother's Day, you know, when the kids were making. Uh, you know, like a Mother's Day card or whatever, they'd have my daughter make two, one for me and one for my ex. Well, that's really nice. I I have been the luckiest person in the world in some respects. I, I, I fell into a community that's been okay with me. I sometimes feel guilty because I know there are trans women that have it so much worse in that regard. But, you know, it, but again, it, it helps that I have her there, you know, batting for me. And, and and she's there sort of blazing the path for how other people in, in schools and stuff interact with me. Yeah, that's, man. Uh, so I expected when I started this show that I would have um, a bunch of the horror stories of all the negative experiences that transgender people experience when they do transition. Or even, uh, this isn't just a show about transgender people. It just happens that the first three <laughs> guests of my show are transgender women. Uh, that's not the the target guest that I'm exactly shooting for, but you guys happen to be the most uh, eager or willing to be on the show. Um, We're very talkative. Yeah. And so um, it's going, it's so far, all of my guests haven't really shared any so-called horror stories. They aren't are telling me things or sharing things that have been overtly or um, largely negative. Uh, it seems like a lot of their transitions were mostly positive. And I'm sure um, as with anything related to LGBTQ people, there are some negative instances, um, but overwhelmingly so far what they've shared is positive. I, I think what you're seeing there is just, um, well, well, number one, I, th I think because those of us who have positive experiences may simply be more inclined to, to take an open invitation to talk. Right. That's what I was thinking um, was that because it's a positive experience, it's easier to share than if you had been treated negatively by parents or family and, and told that you're wrong and evil or something like that. So I can imagine sharing those experiences are much more difficult. Well, and I think also you, you have a situation where the, the negative stories tend to be told more. They tend to spread around more. They tend to be more noticeable. And so it may, it may create the perception that there's more of those stories out there. But I'll be honest with you, of all the trans people that I've known, their experiences have been largely neutral to positive. 
Um, sure, we all have negative experiences. I could tell you one or two negative experiences, but I, I really don't like to dwell on those. Um, a lot of trans people have one or two negative experiences, but they find that place where, where they're in a supportive structure and they find the people who support them and, and they try to focus on the positive, I think. I mean, the negative stories are out there. I, I have known, I, I know one woman, for example, who, you know, who had that that classically bad divorce. The, the I'm transgender led to the, well, I don't want you to have any contact with our kids. Or, you know, then it be, then all of a sudden the being transgender, beca- you know, becomes the, the sort of the legal saber rattling to, you know, threat to any, uh, you know, well, I want to do this. Well, you know, I'll go to the court and, you know, yeah. tell them you're transgender and, well, I mean, the court already knows, but you know, use it as a use it as a wedge. Um, those stories are definitely out there, and and that's why I do. I I feel very very lucky um, to kind of have landed where I did, um, to where the negative experiences are just they're, they're not really worth talking about. Um, I, I mean, they're there, the little microaggressions, even the unintentional ones. Uh, like a lot of teachers, I sometimes have to work retail. Yeah. Um, you know, get a little side job because. The academic, um, the academic world is complicated right now, particularly in my field, which is English. You know, and, and if somebody's not paying attention, particularly because I've never done a lot to train my voice, you know, if somebody's not looking at me and they're they're just kind of looking down at themselves as I'm checking them out, I'll get the occasional stir, and it'll you know, and it'll burn. I, I, I try not to dwell on those because I, I do, in general, I'm I'm very fortunate to have landed where I landed. Um, I'm very fortunate to ha- be in the community that I'm in and to have the support that I do. And 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 so I kind of l- try to let that be my daily driver and not the negative experiences. Yeah, that's really good. It says here on the on the pre-interview question that you don't really have any negative experiences other than those microaggressions. So you've already – I asked you in the interview or the pre-interview question what your most positive experience was, and you said it was coming out to your kids and about how supportive um, they mm-hmm. were. Is there any other significant – um, positive experiences you've had where someone was you didn't expect to be supportive or maybe some other um, way that you had a positive interaction with someone that really encouraged you and, and made you feel that transitioning and living your life um, as who you want to be was the right decision? Um, if I had to point to another you know, kind of memorable moment, I had a, um, before I transitioned at work, I had a lot of panic and a lot of anxiety about that. Um, the workplace was going to be the most, like the second most horrible thing after coming out to my parents. <laughs> that was my, in, in my mind. I, I knew I had a very supportive, like my direct manager, my direct dean. Um, I, I knew that she was a very nice person and she was a very supportive person, but you could, you could never tell how someone's going to respond to something like transgender, particularly back then when it was, you know, the perception, again, was far more negative, um, whereas nowadays it's starting to sort of moderate. The day that I went into her office was one of the most nerve-wracking because I, I, I literally didn't know if I was about to lose my job. And, and, and instead, she she was just as amazingly supportive about that as she was, as a you know, regularly as a human being. And, and, and she became kind of my champion. In terms of of you know bringing it up the chain and and you know let's let's make a plan for transition at work and when do we want to transition and but but you know she was just now unfortunately I lost that job before I transitioned 
not because I was transgender. Uh, they literally eliminated entire department budgets one day, and um, I happened to be one of yeah one of eight or nine people who lost their job that day. Okay, but but man, she was. Uh, I mean, she was a real just that encounter gave me so much confidence going forward that when I did get my next job, I I didn't even I didn't even think twice. I applied using my you know using my my new legal name. I I never even went in thinking anything other than this is how I'm going to do it. And, um, and it was partially because of that experience with her and, and, and seeing that even in, even in the academic arena, even in, you know, the career arena, people are going to be positive about this. People can't accept this. Yeah. Well, that's really good to hear. I'm glad, uh, one of my other guests, um, I don't think that show has been released yet. Um, but she had a really positive experience of her transition at work too. And so that's, a. It seems uh, that the HR department in most companies these days are doing a really good job of handling uh, transgender people in the workplace and not making it um, something that uh, is discouraged. And I think that is a, a very positive point to bring out in our world today that you hear a lot of the horror stories. Um but sharing these positive stories about how people were able to come out at work and transition. And for the most part, their coworkers are um, supportive mm-hmm. and their employers are supportive, I think is a real testament to how far we've come uh, to accepting transgender people in our lives. I, I, I think so. And, and, and with the HR people, you know, part of it is, is HR departments have started putting their foot down because of lawsuits, but um you know, because in the last eight years, guidelines that have been passed by the, the, the Department of Labor and stuff, but um, but they, they've been doing so in a very sort of even-handed way, and they've been getting the message out there um, to where, you know, deans and hiring managers and stuff are, are all aware that this is something that is, is department policy, and, you know, so far, I, I haven't had a real negative experience with it. Yeah, good. I'm glad. I'm definitely glad to hear that. So one of the other questions I asked is, are you actively participating in an organized religion? I am not. I have been an atheist for a lot of years. Honestly, I've been an atheist since I read, um, it's a novel by James Morrow called Only Begotten Daughter. Uh, that was, I read that in, oh gosh, ninth grade, something like that. I, I didn't go from like being a Christian before reading that to, you know, being an atheist after reading that, but um I, I, I was sort of a non-committal kid before that, and, and, and that book really kind of helped me solidify a lot of my own thoughts about religion. And um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a long-term committed atheist. Okay. Um, That's That seems to be um, another running theme as far as the transgender women that I've interviewed so far is not many of them are actively participating in a religion which might lead some of the listeners to believe that because you've rejected God per se, that you are just now given over to a reprobate mind and that, um, or that you may want to be your own God or, you know, several of the other straw man arguments against Mm -hmm. um, people who aren't living a godly life as some Christians may say, how would you respond to those sort of accusations that because you've turned your back on God or religion, that that's why, you feel you need to be a transgender person and that if you just came back to Jesus or to Allah or whoever the religious person happens to be, that if you just came back and, and really hoped and prayed and asked God for forgiveness, that you could be a straight person again, how would you respond to some sort of accusation like that? Well, I mean, it it feels like an obvious straw man, you know, and I mean, 
number one, I can point to religious friends uh, who who are transgender, and that alone would disprove that idea that oh, it's just because you're away from God. But I, I mean, also to a degree, you could say that's true because a lot of religions um, in America. Um, particularly certain um, uh, strains of Christianity in America in 2017 are very, very anti-LGBT. And I can see where if someone was in one of those religions, they might try to repress that um, to where leaving that religion would be like, okay, I'm no longer, you know, I'm no longer part of that religion. I can be gay now. Well, it's it's not because they're now a heathen. It's because they're now not self-hating. I I, I would probably point that out to the person that, well, well, gee, you know, given that your religion it would be telling a, a gay person or a trans person that they're awful people for being gay or trans, no wonder they leave the religion, you know, in order to be gay or trans. Yeah. And so I would also like to maybe point out that um, a lot of times from the other guests that I've had on the show, it seems that these feelings of not being in the right body or that you were meant to, you know, you have this gender dysphoria that this usually is recognized early on long before you even know what an atheist is or even fully comprehend the dogma of the religion that you were raised in. And so that this sort of feeling manifests itself long before you even thought about rejecting God or the church or anything like that. And that's usually where I go is, um, if that's brought up to me in an argument or a debate with someone that they're just a, a, a reprobate mind and they still felt this way. So I don't see how your argument holds water in those situations. Sure. Well, in, in my case, actually in my case, both things happened in high school, but <laughs> they were unrelated. Um, you know, my, my sort of my atheism and in my, my dawning awareness of my, of my transgender identity both happened kind of in high school, but 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 they were completely unrelated, right? And but but for many people, they they also know at an early age, well, yeah. well before. So I was just trying to see where you. Uh, I'm sure you have these discussions with people who maybe make these religious arguments, and I just wanted to kind of get an idea of of how you address them. The other thing I would like to know, or how did you connect to other people in the LGBT community, and and what do you think is a good approach for people who may be questioning or maybe understand that they're a transgender or a homosexual person and they want to connect with other people like them. How do you think that is a good way to go about doing that? My own experience, I went, I went about it a little bit sideways. I didn't know a lot of openly gay people or I didn't know any other than the one family member. I didn't know any trans people. So when I started my own process, I, I just, kind of, I, I reached out to what resources I had and managed to find a lifeline who kind of introduced me into uh, my, my first support groups. Uh, and I would say that if, if somebody is in my situation where, uh, where I was, where they don't know where to start, a support group is probably the best place to begin. You know, check local universities. Uh, if you've got a college or a university nearby, the chances of them having an LGBT um, student group um, or support group are probably high nowadays. If there's no college or university nearby, you know, there are plenty of places online nowadays where you can go and, and find these resources. You just kind of have to put yourself in there a little, particularly if you've grown into a place mentally where you think this is all negative, where this is all going to be bad. 
um, it can be hard to take that step. And even once you get there, it can be hard to accept, you know, yourself, but being around other people who are having similar life experiences to you. And I don't just mean online. Online is fine, but but I, I really, I, I'm, a, I'm the kind of person who likes being in a room with somebody. That was huge for me, being in a room with people who felt what I felt, were expressing what I was feeling. You know, I didn't, um, it, 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 there was a long time where I kind of, I thought I was more of a cross-dresser than, than trans. And then the first time I got into a room with a lot of, of trans women, it, it was a small support group. It was, it was exclusively trans women. Just listen to them talk for an hour in the back of my mind going, that's exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel. It was a revelation. And, and so I'd say, yeah, see, you know, seek out those group of people. I mean, they're called support groups for a reason. Um, and thankfully, in the age of the internet, um, it's a lot easier to find those than it might have been, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So that would be my first piece of advice. Um, my second piece of advice, though, would be um, that, that if they do go to one of those and they don't feel comfortable, um, don't force themselves to keep going. Uh, these these groups tend to have very different characters. Um, and, and I went to several different groups in my area and, and, and some groups felt better to me and some groups didn't. Um, and, and you don't want to be in any sort of situation. If you don't feel right there, don't go back. Yeah. So basically give it a try, give it a shot, try a support group or try, you know, I know that there's the website like meetup.com where you can go on yep. there and look for groups of people who meet up and that's not a dating site. That's just a place where people organize meetings of like-minded people mm -hmm. to get together. I know some atheists do it and I imagine some LGBT people do it. Like you said, give it a try, go there, see what it's all about. If you don't like it, try something else. Right. But, but find the community. That, that to me is, you know, if I, if I hadn't connected early on with a few women who had already been through this and, and who could kind of talk me through some of the, you know, some of the pitfalls and some of the, well, you're going to hear this a lot. And some of the, well, here's, you know, here's what the therapist is going to say. <laughs> um, you know, it would have been, the whole thing would have been a lot harder for me, but I, I, I was able to find those people who were willing to share their experience and sort of warn me about some of these things ahead of time. Okay. In the same vein, when you were looking for help, as far as your transition goes, did you get any help from any specific LGBT organizations? Yeah. Uh, the, the group that I mentioned uh, previously, the, the University of Michigan's Comprehensive Gender Services Program, I am fortunate enough to live close enough to U of M where I was able to reach out to them. And do you have to be a student for that? You don't. I, I was not a student. They uh, pr their primary purpose is to to give information and to connect you to a doctor, to a psychiatrist, you know, a therapist, whatever. That's their primary goal. I ended up through through happenstance sitting with one of the people who was with the program for some some early therapy sessions, and then and then that person left the program to start their own practice, and I followed them. So I ended up getting my full time therapist from the the, the program. And she was amazing because they are trained and they actually train therapists and then they will recommend you to trained therapists so that, you know, you're going to a therapist who understands transgender issues, understands the, the things that underlie sometimes transgender issues. Like, for example, comorbidity between um, gender dysphoria and depression, anxiety, those sorts of things is very high. And so a good therapist knows 
how to not just not just work with you as a transgender person, but also can address if you have depression issues, if you have suicidal ideation, that sort of thing. And they train therapists for that. They have they have lists of doctors who they know aren't going to you know they're not going to be the gatekeepers. They're the doctors who understand hormone therapy. They were they were really really amazing, and they 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 probably would connect with people you know, across the country through email and stuff. But I was fortunate enough that I could go into the office and I could talk to people. And and that was a big thing for me. And I would say that if somebody has nowhere else to go, even if you don't live in the Detroit area or the Ann Arbor area, you know, contact them via email. They might be able to point that person to local resources that they don't know about. Okay, well, that's really good. I'll have to look them up. Um, I'm trying to also on the blog page or the podcast homepage, I'm trying to build a list of links for people to go to. So I'll have to look them up and see if I can maybe provide a link. And I know on the Straight Up Gay podcast Twitter account, I've been trying to connect and follow organizations so that listeners of the show, they can you know go to the, the podcast Twitter page and find people I connected with through there um, for support. Yeah, it's um yeah, they've they've got a, a web page up. It's um it's pretty easy to find on Google. Just type in um, you know, U of M Comprehensive Gender Services and, and it'll pop right up. Awesome. So one of the things I asked was what is something that worries uh you about the future in relation to LGBT um the community or the rights and acceptance? And you responded that you are concerned about Donald Trump's presidency. <laughs> um Uh, Before you answer that, one of the things I've noticed is since Donald Trump was the president-elect, the conversations that I have with many of my conservative friends are, oh, you don't have to worry. It's no big deal. I don't think they have anything to worry about. It'll all be okay. Um, Do you share that sentiment, or do you think there is a real concern for LGBT people um, that Donald Trump is our next president, and what specifically – sort of things can you point to that concern you? Well, I I know there's threats because they've made them already. Um, It's not so much Trump himself that I'm worried about. It's the fact that he brought within him, you know, brought with him, you know, Republican control of the legislature. Um, And they flat out said they're going to start trying to pass certain laws. Uh, This this First Amendment Protection Act, which is going to legalize discrimination against uh, LGBT people. You know, the it's just they've already said these things are coming. You know, the trans people in the Obama administration, we got a lot of help from President Obama through executive branch actions. Things like, for example, when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, she changed the requirement for uh, for changing gender on passports. All it has to do now, uh, you have to have a you have to approach them with a letter from your doctor. Uh, it also helps to have your social security card switched over. But again, the Social Security Administration. It just needs the letter from the doctor, and and those are things that that a new um, you know a new Department of State or, or excuse me a new Secretary of State could easily just reverse that you know and it just go well the policy now is it has to match your birth your birth certificate. The next president can just issue a new executive order reversing that, mm-hmm. and so I know that with any of the rights that LGBT people have uh, received through the executive orders could easily be overturned by Donald Trump. And it wouldn't even take very long for that to happen. Or or I'll give you another example. Um, Under President Obama, the Attorney General uh, and the Department of Justice have interpreted Title IX 
to uh, extend protection to transgender people so that so that uh, that gender identity and gender expression are covered under Title IX. Title IX has to do with discrimination in in public accommodations and in schools and things like that. And and it Title IX technically is about not being able to discriminate based on gender. And so the the current administration has has essentially interpreted that to include gender identity and gender expression. But all it takes is a new attorney general who decides that they don't want to interpret it that way anymore. And suddenly any transgender student in a school has just lost that protection. And with Republicans in control of everything, it's probably going to happen. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, and that, that was my concern, too, was not that just we got a Republican president and uh, that his vice president was super religiously conservative. Uh, you can look at his track history at the laws he's passed in Indiana oh, yeah. and, and see that. But that we also lost both houses of Congress to the Republicans. And so they they have a very low barrier to sort of any uh, discriminatory laws being passed. Right. And even though some of them might eventually be fought in court, you know, that we're going to have to fight those fights now. And it's 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 unfortunate and it's it's a little scary. It's it's why a lot of trans people in the last month have been scrambling to take advantage of of policies as they are now. Um, Me, for example, um, I had it on my docket in 2017 at some point to get my passport. I've never had a passport, but since they they made the change in the passport policy, I had a eventually intended to do it. And then in Michigan, earlier this year, there was a lawsuit. And what they ultimately did was the lawsuit forced the Secretary of State in this uh, state to change the rules for changing a driver's license gender marker uh, from birth certificate to passport, that if your passport had your correct correct gender on it, that you could correct your driver's license. And so I just, I had it on my list of things to do, but I wasn't in a huge, I wasn't in a huge rush to do it Mm -hmm. because um, to be honest, on a day-to-day basis, it doesn't, you know, uh, uh, affect me too much. But boy, you know, the second Trump won, I got that passport uh, application and so I could get my driver's license changed before the 20th because the passport rule might change. Once Trump's in office, states might get more bold and then the state, you know, license policy might change. Um, there was a real panic that ran through the trans community and and rightly so. And so you've got a lot of people scrambling to get as much done as they can before things lock down, basically. Yeah, and that sentiment is echoed by my previous guest, who I I don't know that she was prompted to get her passport because Donald Trump was elected, um, but I know that she was doing her best to take advantage of those abilities to get her passport. Um, her state of North Carolina didn't allow them to change the birth certificate. I think I think unless they did a full sexual reassignment surgery, I think at that point you could, but not just because you got a letter from your doctor. North Carolina made it really difficult. Yeah, uh, in Michigan, I cannot change my birth certificate until I've had sur- surgical alteration. I think is the phrase they use. It's, it's it's a really horrible term they use, but but yeah, until I've had surgeries, full surgeries, I cannot get my birth certificate changed. And the problem before was that that was the barrier to the driver's license. Because most people don't look at your birth certificate. They look at the driver's license. You know, I, I've not had all the surgeries. They're expensive. Insurance doesn't cover them. So, so earlier this year when Michigan was kind of forced through lawsuit to change their policy, that was a big deal. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get all that done before the 21st. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's move away from the doom and gloom question here and let's talk about something more positive, which is what are some of the things uh, you find more hopeful about the future as far as being an LGBTQ person about your rights and your acceptance? What is something that gives you hope for the future? 
Well, at the risk of, of possibly repeating other guests, it's that trans people are a lot more out there now than they were even five years ago, uh, and a lot more accepted now than they were even five years ago. And once that sort of cat is out of the bag, that genie is out of the bottle, pick your metaphor, you know, it's it's hard to put that back in. Donald Trump can do whatever he wants. The Republican, you know, Congress can do whatever they want, but people are more accepting now. People understand more now. Uh, there's more trans presence in the media. And that's not just going to reverse because a law changes somewhere. And to me, that's, you know, that's sort of the, the best thing going forward is, is I see that inevitable march of acceptance and progress, despite all the doom and gloom. And, 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 and honestly, you know, just, just trans men, trans women, and non-binary people, Trans people being out there every day and being sort of someone's first experience with a trans person or like, someone's first positive experience with a trans person. Like those people who are being out and proud, as you said earlier, right? Like giving sure positive images of transgender people and not the old um, freak show stereotypes of Donahue and uh, Jerry Springer type. Right. You know, and, 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 and you know, every time, every, every time somebody can... You know, for if, if so, you know, every, every time one of my, my kids' teachers, you know, meets me for the first time because they, they need to know our situation, you know, then, then, then the next time they meet a trans person or they hear about a trans person or they know they're going to meet a trans person, hopefully they'll remember me and not that stereotype. Um, so one of the things I want to let people know, um, I, this isn't just going to be an echo chamber. I want to talk to all people about their positions and their arguments for and against LGBTQ people and the community. I asked if you knew anyone who was not supportive of LGBT people, if they would be willing to come on the show. And you said you didn't know anyone, but feel free, please, to share this show um, with anyone who you think uh, would be willing to come on who is not supportive of LGBT people. I swear it will be calm and collected and respectful you don't have to use your real name. I'm not using my real name. Um, so if anyone um, wants to come on the show as an anti-LGBT um, person and have a calm, civil discussion, I'm willing to do that. So if you come across anyone, please feel free to share the show. Have them contact me through the Twitter page or through Facebook or on SoundCloud or any of that. So if people wanted to get to know more about you, Allison, uh, you said that you had blogged about your transition and uh, you had been a host on uh, other podcasts. Um, if people, if you wanted to direct people to some of the things that you were active in, uh, where would you direct them to? Uh, yeah, my, um, actually my, my current kind of home on the internet, I guess, is uh, it's uh, allisonhudson.online. It's very fresh. It's very new. I, I just bought the uh, bought the URL not too long ago, and I'm I'm still kind of putting it together. But um, but that's kind of where I'm starting to put everything now. I had an old blog that's moved a couple of times. Um, I, I it was called Ali Finds Herself, and it was um, it was kind of the blog that covered my transition for about two years. Um, that's linked there on AllisonHudson.online. Uh, I've also got a Facebook page, which will be linked there uh, as well. But uh, yeah, that that usually is that's the place where I'm going to tell people if they want to know more about me, start there because um, I'll have links to my Facebook page, my Twitter feed. I, I'm pretty open. I'm pretty out there. Uh, and then by the time this show airs, I'll have uh, links to my various stuff in there, including the old transition blog. Also, my um, I, I 
I, I did, as you mentioned, I guest hosted um, some other po- another podcast called Skeptoid, and one of those episodes was actually on the transgender question. Um, and I'll have a link up to that as well if anyone is interested in listening to it. I highly recommend that podcast. I'm not a guest host anymore. Hey, hey, the, yeah, the yeah, original yeah. host don't, is back. Don't but... be shifting listeners away from this show. This is my show. You plug my show. <laughs> what was I'll that show? That. The Skeptoid you said? Skeptoid, yeah. Yeah, okay. But yeah, so, um, but that's all. Yeah, just allisonhudson.online is uh, going to be the easiest place for people to go. Okay, good. Well, um, I want to thank everyone for listening. And I think together we can make the world a better place for LGBTQ people. Please consider donating and supporting organizations that support LGBTQ people like the, what what was that organization, the Michigan? Uh, University of Michigan Comprehensive Gender Services Program. Okay, so for those Michiganders, is that right? Michiganders? Michiganders. Michiganders. Okay, I thought it was Michiganites, but Michiganders, <laughs> you Michiganders out there, please support your LGBT organizations over there at the University of Michigan. Today, I want to specifically mention that organization that helped Allison. Um, if you have donate time or money, help that organization out as much as you can. Let's help our transgender allies and friends get the support that they need. Um, for anyone out there that wants to reach out to me and contact me, you can contact me at my email, which is major at straightupgaypodcast.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. On Twitter, it's at podcast. And you can join me on Facebook at facebook.com slash straight up gay podcast, or you can just search for straight up gay podcast. You can listen to the show or at least view the blog at www.straightupgaypodcast.com. And there I'll be listing links to services that I discover throughout the show. I'd like to thank everyone again for coming and listening to the show. And I will see you on episode four. Take care, everyone. <laughs>